This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. The U.S. Department of Education is urging states and school districts to expand their school voucher and tax credit programs. A number of states already have these school choice programs up and running. But have the results from these programs been positive enough to justify their expansion? To answer that question, economists Dennis Eppel of Carnegie Mellon, Richard Romano at the University of Florida, and Miguel Urquiola at Columbia University have recently combined forces to draw conclusions for practitioners from a careful review of the existing literature. I have with me today Dennis Eppel, the senior author of the paper. Dennis, it's great to have you with me on the Education Exchange. Uh, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Let me jump first to the bottom line. Based on your review of the literature, the research and studies that have been done of tax credits and vouchers, what are the three or four pieces of advice that you would give to practitioners? That is a challenging question, Paul. Let me, <laughs> let me uh, uh, see if I can give you a, uh, a complete uh, or at least relatively well, let's, let's complete do, answer. Let's start with just one. Yes, okay. with just, <laughs> just one. Well, I, I think that at, uh, perhaps one of the most important lessons is to understand that uh, when we say vouchers, that it can mean many things. And that the design of a voucher program is very uh, important if uh, it is going to be successful. Uh, I would, at, at one extreme, we've seen in uh, uh, the Chilean case a flat rate universal voucher with essentially uh, uh, no restrictions on how schools can uh, uh, employ admissions restrictions and so forth. And what we saw there is that the program really induced um, a lot of stratification, one might say cream skimming. And so the message we think from, from that is uh, that one needs to be careful about uh, having a, a But would it be any worse than the cream skimming and segregation, social segregation that we get from residential school choice that we have today? Uh, the residential choice uh, stratification that we had today is extreme, and uh, I think that what we want is a program that, with vouchers, that uh, makes it uh, uh, better uh, rather than worse. And I think, in fact, that one can design voucher programs that will minimize cream skimming and uh, potentially um, yield good outcomes. The um, Milwaukee voucher is the longest standing voucher in the U.S. and the Milwaukee voucher uh, seems to have been designed with that in mind, that the Milwaukee voucher uh, began with uh, targeting to lower income students and with the requirement that uh, schools accepting voucher students uh, select randomly from their applicant pool if they were oversubscribed. And, um, and then they gradually increased the program over time. They started with a limit on a number and uh, gradually increased it over time and uh, have increased the funding over time as well. And I, in, in my view, their approach to that has been uh, relatively effective. Well, that was all uh, an accident, I think. Uh, <laughs> having watched Milwaukee, I know the politics in that uh, city were tremendous. And uh, this slow growth uh, was mainly because 
the two sides could never agree, the pro and anti, and uh, so the, the most you could get at any one time was a little creep forward. So, but maybe that's so one of the great things about American politics, compromises forces something that probably isn't so bad. It, it's, uh, that may be a, a good illustration where uh, compromise does pay off. The, the program did, after uh, the first three or four years, the cap on the enrollments did go up uh, relatively uh, rapidly. So, in fact, uh, the oversubscription issue became less of an issue over time in, in, the, uh, in the program. And the, uh, the funding amount did go up. The funding amount is still well below what is available in public schools, which uh, uh, of course, creates challenge for the the uh, competing schools. But if you compete. ask the American people, as we do on our Education Next surveys, we uh, we find that there's a lot more support for a universal voucher program than there is for a targeted voucher program, such as the one in Milwaukee, where it goes just to low-income families. You have to be below some threshold before you're eligible for a voucher. Uh, so. Given that political fact, and given the fact that a targeted voucher program is going to almost necessarily concentrate low-income kids in a socially segregated environment, why do you say that, that the Milwaukee program is perhaps a better model? I, I, um, I, I, I would distinguish between the targeting and the um, criteria for schools uh, to participate in the program. And I think you're, I, I'm glad you drew that out. I think that's an important distinction. Uh, in, in my view, uh, the ideal would be to have a voucher that is more generous for uh, children that are more challenging to educate for, for whatever reasons, uh, but not uh, to target, to, to have a uh, a scale where uh, those who uh, have the greatest uh, uh, pose the greatest challenges in education have a larger voucher. Uh, I, I think then that one could have a universal voucher if the uh, the requirement that schools select uh, from their applicant pools uh, randomly were maintained. And indeed, then I think you might have a system where you could overcome some of the, st the residential stratification. It might indeed induce. Uh, families uh, to either remain in cities or move uh, move back into cities um, if they prefer the more urban environment. Um, so you would want to have a fairly steep uh, grading of the uh, voucher depending on income, right? You you, you couldn't be just, uh, you know, a, a minor difference between uh, higher income and I, lower I th income. I think that, I think that is right, uh, that it would be, would need to be substantially higher for um, uh, lower income households, um, but we uh, one could still potentially have the voucher that uh, of, of say comparable expenditure to what one is doing in the in the public schools, and uh, that the, the uh, one one of the criteria here that is important is the uh, the no topping up requirement, so that the voucher schools uh, I had mentioned they select randomly, but also that uh, the voucher schools accept the voucher as full payment. So, so I'm not suggesting a voucher where the higher income household eligibility would be a tiny amount. Uh, the idea would be that the, uh, the voucher 
reflect the relative uh, differences in cost of uh, educating. So if we're spending uh, $12,000 a year for students on average in the United States, you gave a voucher of 24000 to those uh, with income at the bottom of the spectrum, and then you cut it to 6000 for the people at the top end, trying to keep within the current framework of not spending more than 12000 per student. Is that... I, I know that you don't want to put some specific numbers on there, but you know, is that sort of the kind of thing you could imagine? I, I, to my mind, that's more extreme than what I would imagine. <laughs> but I think we don't know. I, I think what, what the, the goal would be to have a, a private school say the difference in the amount of money that this child will bring to my school reflects the difference in the cost that I as a school will experience in trying to provide an effective education for those students. And I think we don't know how much that differential will be, but, but in my view, that would be the, uh, the goal that a school would say, I, uh, or s private schools would say, I am happy to get students that are high, low income. The, the voucher incentivizes me to do that. I, th I view the programs that have done targeting as kind of a very rough or, or, or crude way where we say, okay, we're going to target and give more to these low-income students and we're not, we're not going to have eligibility at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did want to mention, if I may, one in, in terms of educational outcomes, uh, my sense is that the overall findings on vouchers are that impacts on achievement test scores have not been uh, very large in most uh, of the programs that we've seen, and indeed in a couple of recent programs, the, the initial evidence is that the if impacts on achievement scores are actually negative. On the other hand, uh, thanks to the work that you initiated on the uh, long-term impacts, there is evidence from the experiment that you and your colleagues conducted and from uh, the Mil Milwaukee voucher and from the first Washington experiment that the longer term effects on graduation and enrollment are favorable for uh, particularly for minorities. That's college enrollment. And college enrollment, yes, yeah. thank you, right. Um, so that, I would say in terms of the evidence we have thus far that those longer term impacts are the, if one were going to make the pro case, uh, those longer-term impacts are there. The, the worrying case is the more recent negative it's, it's, effects. It, one of the things that's tricky is to explain how that could be, because uh, we have been thinking for a long time in American education that these test scores give us a pretty good uh, basis for predicting long-term outcomes, and in some contexts they do. How, uh, how would you square this circle? Uh, I, I think it is a, uh, a puzzle that we don't see the achievement effects on the test scores that uh, uh, the more optimistic expectation about vouchers would have led us to believe would be there. Uh, I, th I think we don't know why the longer-term effects are there. There uh, may be that uh, the, the private school uh, environment is one where there are more uh, children from other families who come with the expectation they're going to go to college, so one gets some peer uh, effect associated with that, or um, 
it's possible that the teachers have a different mindset. Uh, so we, we just, uh, uh, or the teachers and the students connect better. There, there are many possible explanations. I think that we don't, uh, we don't know. Um, and I would also say we, I, I do want to kind of, uh, uh, um, uh, as I mentioned already, this caveat about some of the more recent experience with even achievement effects not being as positive. So we also don't know why we're getting these differential kinds of, uh, of results. I, I mentioned I started with the Milwaukee case because uh, it has, in the U.S., been the longest-standing voucher program, and, uh, and uh, despite the kind of uh, tugging back and forth over the years, there has been the, uh, uh, the kind of uh, sustained uh, con continuity of that program. I, I, and that's uh, educational change uh, happens, uh, uh, I think, relatively slowly. It's uh, of necessity. One can't transform an entire district overnight. Uh, and, and so the sustained uh, effort in Milwaukee has been uh, instructive. Does it make an, a resounding case in favor? Uh, I would say the resounding case isn't there, but the Milwaukee case, I would say um, the uh, longer-term effects for, uh, appear to be positive, and we don't see negatives, uh, and so that's, um, that's uh, why I've kind of... So it's like that. many things. Uh, it's not as great as the advocates uh, originally anticipated. It's not as horrible as the critics uh, expected it to be, uh, and it's more uh, wait and see if it really does uh, take. Now, how about the accountability feature in voucher programs? I know some have some kind of an accountability system. Some don't. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, to me, that is one of the most difficult issues uh, with respect to um, schools generally, not just vouchers, is um, how to uh, assess when a school is entitled to continue to operate as a school. Uh, one of the goals of choice, of course, is to uh, uh, enable parents to uh, search among alternatives and try to find a fit that's effective for their child. Um, but on the other hand, there are times either because parents are not well informed about the alternatives or perhaps sometimes they, they have concerns that uh, uh, are uh, not deeply connected to educational outcomes. Uh, and uh, so uh, there is an, an, an issue of when one uh, decides that a school is, has, uh, has failed and shouldn't any longer function. In my view, the, the uh, criteria that were used in Milwaukee were, uh, were somewhat weak. There are 10 different accrediting organizations uh, that are uh, accepted. And in addition, the criteria for continuation based on uh, past performance, in my mind, are, are not uh, as strong as they could be. So I would, uh, I would say we want to not have a heavy hand, but we would want uh, to push the dial a, a harder than Milwaukee has in, uh, in uh, vetting uh, schools. Well, thank you very much, Dennis. This is uh, Dennis Apple with me on the Education Exchange. I'm Paul Peterson. Dennis Apple has just completed uh, a paper uh, surveying the literature on t uh, tax credits and, and school vouchers.
uh, with his co-authors, and uh, I uh, very much appreciate your joining me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure to be here. And thank you for joining us. This is Paul Peterson on the Education Exchange. We release a new podcast every Monday at 12 noon.